Ever wondered what it'd be like if you were stripped not only of your godlike powers, but also your clothes, and then dumped on the bridge of a galaxy-class starship? Well, you're about to find out in this exciting episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Coming at you right about now. Welcome, everybody, to STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Yay! Oh, I've been waiting, I've been waiting all week for this, Andrew. Oh, as have I, Commander Davy Dave. As have I. Everyone's favorite Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast. You know, I was uh, the other day someone I was reading an article and it called itself a retrospective instead of a rewatch. So maybe, I mean, that sounds very grand, don't you think, Commander Davey Dave? I don't know. Maybe let's try that on. Let's try this retrospective on this episode. Well, I am Ambassador Andrew, and with me, as always, is... Commander Davey Dave. And welcome to our retrospective. Retrospecting <laughs> you. Listen, I have a great amount of retrospect for you, man. I only respect you in the past. 178 uh, episodes of this of this bad boy of uh, oh of Star Trek: The Next Generation, and we me? foolishly have committed ourselves to to enjoying each and every one of them, and then sharing our enjoyment with you, the listener. We are we are making our way through season three. Three aren't there uh, 26 episodes this season three? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly why. I'm sure we'll figure that out when we get towards the end. But but this is a long <laughs> season. If we get to if we get to episode twenty six, we run out of shit. Then yeah, yeah. If you came to a this, if you came to a retrospective podcast, uh, hoping for answers about why season three had twenty six episodes and season two had twenty two episodes, well, you've come to the wrong podcast. Tonight we yes. have a, a, a delightful outing called Deja Q. An episode starring Q. The Entity Q, you mean, right? Yeah, and I was hoping that you could do a favor for all our listeners around the world and maybe, you know, tell them what this episode is about. For those of you just tuning in for the first time, Commander Davey Dave has a love-hate relationship with the synopsis. Yeah, so behind the scenes, almost always Andrew writes these things. And he writes them to torture me. So let's see what's going to happen tonight. When the moon hits your eye, you're all going to die. <laughs> That's a red alert for the Enterprise. Brielle 4's moon is crashing into the planet. What planet? Brielle, oh, into itself. Into Brielle 4, oh. yeah. Oh, Brielle 4's moon is crashing into itself. No, that doesn't make any sense. No, it's crashing into the planet. Okay, Brielle 4's moon is crashing into the planet while the enterprise struggles to prevent this q pops in naked as an aldebaran jaybird cool, cool. it seems that the q continuum has stripped our q of his powers rendering him mortal mm. <laughs> oh jean-luc palms q off to data <sighs> <laughs> Jean-Luc Palms cue off to Data to deal with while he drinks tea in his quarters and tells Geordi to accomplish a miracle with that pesky moon. With Q's help, the crew is able to make progress on their moon moves until some pesky Q-haters 
come calling to exact revenge on their now vulnerable tormentor. That's Q, right? Will Arnie Becker count this as a billable hour? Will the inhabitants of Brielle 4 say, Good night, Moon. Forever. Find out in this next exciting episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Yeah, I realize now I have too many peskies and too many torments in there. Well, don't I worry, gotta... I'll be tormented with editing this. Uh, <laughs> so let's 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 get down to business. No time to play around. What is this? Let's talk about Q. And and this is a good time to stop and take stock of the delightful Q. He's been around in a couple episodes. First, obviously, an encounter at Farpoint. And then a few more times since then. So this is, what, his third this or fourth his, appearance? This is his fourth. The first season he showed up twice. He was in Encounter Farpoint and Hide and Q. Yes, correct. And then he showed up last season one time in our fateful Borg intro episode, um, Qing around in the universe or something like that. Yeah, Q, Q who? Q who? Q who? Q who? Do, do you happen to know the names of the other three that are coming up? Yes, as a matter of fact, I do because I wrote them down here. In is it um, uh, is it Q Zuntite? God bless you. <laughs> Next up is Cupid. Then he is in a non-Q titles Tapestry and All Good Things, and then oh. finally he's in QAnon: The Truth at Last. <laughs> I love that. But what's interesting about Q is, is he starts off as this mysterious entity. You know, great omnipotent powers, mysterious being. But he ends up in many ways being one of the most developed characters in the entire show. I mean, I think he does better than, than you know, Troy does or Bev Crusher sure. does in some regards. And I think you're talking about the whole arc of Q from, yes, you know, Farpoint back in 1987 all the way to our ending really of the q story in picard season two in 2022 right yes yes I, I mean this is a big topic and we can hit it you know for obviously three more times after this we talked about this maybe a couple episodes ago about the limitations of character development in these types of right. episodic television shows and it's kind of frustrating in some ways to see 178 hours plus what three four movies and we will soon be getting season three of Picard where we'll return to all of these next-gen characters again for the last time. Right. I'm hoping that we see uh, endings for all of them. I think you're right. We don't, we don't see a lot of change in these characters, unfortunately. Well, I, I don't even need endings. I just need to know they're in a place that works. I mean, uh, and not to get too far afield and talking about Picard, the Picard show, but in the first season of Picard, we did see Riker and Troy, and they seemed fairly well settled. So I was good with that. And then yes. the data thing was resolved, so we've seen that. I just need to know that the others are okay, or they're doing interesting things or something. You know, I mean, this Picard show, both seasons are really well-produced, pretty great shows. And, and I still was frustrated with the kind of trajectory of the Picard character himself, and even Q. I mean, I, I, I know things change for them, but it wasn't it hasn't been exactly the satisfying ending that I've wanted. I mean, Picard in some ways is as his I mean, he's been on a journey and they and they clearly show that. 
And, and we see that. And Q, for some reason, they Q is sick or something by the end of it. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of a bumpy ride in that season two. Picard, Q has changed. He's become a different Q. He's going to somehow die or whatever is going to happen to him. And we're going to say goodbye to him. But it really is just the show saying goodbye to John Delancey as his character, Q. I think that's that's it. Goodbye, Q. It, what's frustrating about it is that they never really explain what's happening to Q. They're, the first episode of Picard season two is fantastic. The interaction yes. between Delancey and Stewart, the between Q and Picard is just genius. I mean, it really is. It is probably one of the best hours of, of modern Trek. Um, especially that exchange between the two of them. It's really powerful. And then yeah. it just kind of peters out. Well, but let's talk. Let's bring this back to next gen. It's okay to talk about that show, too, because it. I mean, oh, no, it is. It is. But I don't want to get too far can, off. Of can I, I, I don't want to distract you too much, but I'm going to I got to open my this is the thing that we do on our show. I've got to open a beverage. It's oh, yeah. very hot where I'm recording and I, and I need to refresh. Yes. Oh, that I you know, Oof. I can't I can't hear that without like opening my own beverage. Oh yeah, look at that. That's oh. that's that was satisfying. Um I've been trying out some new beverages because first couple years of this I was doing Perrier's, but I, I I'm trying to broaden my sparkling water horizons. This is a Dr. Fields fruit fold. Have you heard of these, Andrew? No. This one? It's it's called burst and berry, but it doesn't smell like that at all. It smells like some kind of oh, mango God. stuff. That 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 sounds like a problem. Oh, man, I had a burst and berry the other day. What I want to say about Q is the first few episodes we see him, right? Uh, Farpoint, Q who, hide in Q. He really is kind of a means to an end. So he's he's someone that moves a plot. He's, he's the reason for a plot. He's putting humanity on trial or he's, you know, dragging him in to confront the Borg. And there's, it's not really about him. He's just kind of, kind of plugged in there. But in this episode, things start to change, and we sure. really see the focus is about developing kind of a character for him, which as an entity is kind of interesting because we've had plenty of entities, absolutely, and none of so them have gotten, entities. none of them have gotten this kind of attention, which is to me kind of interesting. This season <laughs> is like the other two it's it's it has been entity heavy we've had a series of visiting entities that have done shit and i don't know what happens after season three entity wise i don't know if they tone this crap down but it is just like almost every other episode still it's some kind of entity some kind of incredible force that comes up against the enterprise and for as as much as they rely on these entities they did cue just right I mean, he's so yeah. welcomed every time he comes on. And as soon as he shows up, as soon as I see John Delancey on screen, I'm like, I, I instantly am put at ease. I feel like I'm sitting back and I'm about to enjoy a really good episode. Well, and I think that's part of it, right? That Delancey himself has got to be one of the main reasons because he's so good in this role. His acting is is always strong and he knows how to deliver subtle changes in the character after this point when we start having conversations or we consider Q's motives really a lot of it is not going to be as overt as it is here it's going to be really Delancey dropping hints mm-hmm. or you know saying something in a certain way or Q making choices that seem you know like antagonistic but later on prove to be benevolent or have some greater motivation 
than just being kind of a pain in the ass. And I think there's something inherent in the character of Q that allows him to develop. I mean, he's got some inherent qualities that can be developed and explored that the other entities just don't have. Hey! What the? What? Oh, Armis. You guys know I'm always listening. I'm your number one listener. I take oh, great Armis. offense to this, I guys. We got, I thought we chased you off after that uh, end of season two when you were trying to pass judgment on us. I told you two idiots. I'm doing a lot of uh, inner work, man. You still sound like an angry ball of tar to me, to be honest. I've been trying to find another Riker-sized thing to shove into my deep black void. It's tough, guys, but I take umbrage with this. I'm as savvy as Q. I'm as interesting as this John Delancey Q. Armas, we get to see Q nude. He he appears nude, totally nude. And honestly, we've seen you nude. There's no there's no shock value to it. It's actually kind of gross. You wait. Wait until I clean this thing up. When I tarscape this thing, it'll be a totally different story, man. Thank you for stopping by. Uh, I'm sorry you didn't get your just desserts. Always a pleasure to see you leave. You're, you, you're kicking me out now? I, we have to. We have to talk about Q. You guys are dickheads. No offense. Good. I'm sorry. That was the old Armus. I'm going to just sit here and listen quietly now. Keep oh. going. To, to, to prove how good Delancey is in this role. I mean, he takes it very seriously. Apparently, I you know, he, he had to hang there nude. And there was no other way for him to be nude, so they, he was just nude. I know. So he appears on the bridge in the middle of everybody, and it's funny. But when you read the behind-the-scenes recount of this, he shows up nude, which is a totally funny thing. But the people in the production act like they had to really engineer themselves around this. He's floating naked, right? And they shoot him from behind. So the shot is the cue's backside. It originally, was on a piece of wood, but I don't know. He's laying on something, so he's floating, right? And the only- he was on a piece of wood. <laughs> they- was it his own wood, or <laughs> you know, they were struggling with it, right? So then Delancey comes in in a bathrobe and just says, "Look, I have your solution." And he just drops the robe. <laughs> He's like, "I'm naked. You can shoot around me, man." But what's funny is like nobody behind the scenes ever said. How about if we just don't have him be naked? <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> listen, guys, the script says he's naked. He's got to be naked. This guy showed up in is a you know in a French commander's suit. He dresses like a mariachi. Yeah, he dresses, in this episode. Yeah, yeah. So like <laughs> the idea, I mean, it's hysterical that he's nude, but it, it's funny. It's a funny sense of problem solving that they were like, how do we do this? But it's also ridiculous. I mean, first of all, <laughs> we don't even see his ass. They easily, you know, they could have made him a banana hammock or something. Well, to cover it up, I think it's this is one of these things where you know he saw his opening and he went for it. I know he wanted to, he wanted to show off. And how many times do you get to show your stuff to Patrick Stewart? Yeah, because what's happening in the shot? He's in the foreground and it's a very wide shot. I think they shot his ass and then they had to crop it out later and they blew up the film a bit so that you didn't see it because because you're right, he could have just been laying there in you know his speedos or something. Right, right. But what's funny is the idea is when you're shooting this, there's so many much needed rules about shooting naked people, especially women in movies and TV now. But the people were staring at his stuff. I mean, the cast is looking at him. Mercifully, he gets dressed up, I guess. I mean, not that I don't want to see more naked John Delancey, but he gets on one of your favorite outfits so far in season three. He puts on a... It's a fucking jumpsuit. It's a jumpsuit. It's a jumpsuit. And first of all, 
where did they get it? They just have a spare jumpsuit? If they have access to the replicators, they can't make them something a little more honest to God. That, that is one of the, all the jumpsuits we've seen so far. This is definitely one of the ugliest. Listen, guys, I, I need you to create something that's the absolute opposite of what, what, the, what the crew is going to wear. But it's it's what they basically wore the first two seasons, only now. I, and I just don't understand what is going on with all these goddamn jumpsuits. I mean, I used to, I used to, I was complaining about those big floppy collars and stuff, but please bring them back. Get me some of these loose garments because these jumpsuits, they're just awful. I think it's just like this utilitarian thing in space. Like you just, you throw a thing on and you just get busy. Like you don't need to pick out clothes unless you're the counselor of the ship. You have a very important job. You're supposed to be taking care of the emotional psyches of everybody on board. Then you can wear any dress you want. Everybody else needs to be wearing some kind of a, you know, stretch on or pull on suit. Even, you know, they're all wearing jumpsuits there's a closet somewhere where they have like a bunch of jumpsuits they could just hand out to naked entities who appear on the bridge i mean why why that jumpsuit i don't understand <laughs> i thought it would have been cool if they put him in like you know one of wesley's old t-shirts or something like one of those yes yes those, uh, or Cosby shirts that that wesley used to wear put him in those darty pants it would, wouldn't it have been great if he was wearing that rainbow shirt around that wesley was wearing first season <laughs> and they go well, they had one in his size, because remember when they had the adult Wesley? Yeah, that's right. When Q makes Riker a god, Riker grants Wesley what Wes, what he thinks Wesley wants, which is to be an adult with the voice of a, a 13-year-old boy. Hi, Mom. It's still me. So I don't know, man. I, I want to know what is up with all the jumpsuits. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, hey, boys, boys, listen. We got to figure out something. Hugh's on board. We can't dress him up in Enterprise gear. That would be that would be outrageous, right? What do we put him in? Loretta, do me a favor. Listen, I know we're not supposed to do it anymore. This is kind of on the QT. Can you call the GB one more time, please? One ringy diggy. Two ringy diggy. Great one, boys. Nobody will get that. <laughs> you have to be so old to understand that, guys. Uh, hello, Pip Pip, and all that. Uh, yes, how may I help you? Yes, who is calling, this? I, I, I'm calling from the lot. I'm hoping to talk to Great Bird, man. It's, it's a crisis down here. We, we, we've got to figure out the costuming. Tell Gene he's an entity, and he needs to wear human clothes. Well, Drat, I hate to tell you, old fruit. Gene is out right now. This is Cyril Roddenberry. The great swan of the galaxy. Honk, honk. I'm his cousin from across the pond. I have a bit of kit that will do the trick. I need Gene, man. What the hell? Well, I'm afraid he's popped off with Magell. But I recently came in to quite a find myself a storehouse filled with jumpsuits. I think we can find one that would match uh, Mr. Delancey's inseam. Can you tell me, does he dress left or right? Listen, uh, great. Wh what's your name again, Great Swans? My name is Cyril, the Great Swan of the Galaxy. Hong Hong. Listen, not two episodes ago, we had that guy, that giant dude from the movie with the little pig. Do you remember that guy? The James Cromwell, of course, a jolly good fellow. We've been dressing these giants in jumpsuits all season. That's good old Gene making sure the ducats keep flowing into the family coffers. <laughs> What's going on there behind the scenes, GS? Don't you worry. I also happen to have a fine collection of sarapes. 
and sombreros. Perhaps that rascal Q can dress up like a mariachi in offensive stereotype towards the end of the episode. <laughs> that would be bully. The great swan of the galaxy. He's doing it. The answer is jumpsuits. It's always jumpsuits. Yes, tally-ho and all that. I need to go and have a cup of tea. Earl Grey hot. <laughs> Next time, speed dial that asshole. If Gene's not going to answer my calls, I don't want to talk to some British douchebag. Oh, man. Okay, so this episode is hilarious. I, I, You know, I told you before, way back when, I didn't care for Q initially, and I've really come to love him because he, he absolutely... You know, I wanted Star Trek to be taken seriously, right? I wanted this next generation to be a really serious show. I right. didn't want him to screw it up by being goofy or something. So I really resented Q at first because I thought he was just being goofy. And, you know, now, you know, that the, they, they take the show too seriously, I think. Yes. And someone like Q comes in and deflates them a little bit. That line that he has with Worf, because his relationship with Worf is really great. And, you know, he's like, uh, he's like, of. I don't know what to do. And Worf is like, die. <laughs> I know. And he's and he's like, he's like, ah, Worf, eat any good books lately? And, and I just love that. Eat any good books lately. It just cracks me up <laughs> every was, time. I, I think it's funny, the exchange between the two of them, too. But this is the first time in the four episodes with him that he doesn't insult Worf's. Like, it's a fun kind of insult instead of just straight out calling attention to some of his features yeah, or sure. which, which gets kind of offensive when it gets into this the stuff about michael dorn african-american actor playing this character against this totally white dude yeah it always rubbed me wrong that he was going after wharf like that and kind of in the same way the show in has been insulting to wharf too so it wasn't just q but I like the shift of this tone because the two of them are kind of going after each other. And in this episode, it reads to me like it's fun. The brain is an awful thing. There's some great physical comedy in here, too. And I had never considered Delancey as like a physical comedian. But he's got this great moment where he puts his hand on Worf's shoulder. Yeah. Right. And he just like yanks it back before Worf like tears it off. And <laughs> I, I just love those little interactions. And when he's pouting and engineering that pouting move is so great. He is assigned to help in engineering because now he's human. He's mortal and he can't do any of his Q stuff while the Enterprise is trying to save this planet from its moon crashing into it. So he's sent down to work with Jordy and he's sitting there and he hates it. I mean, it's so boring to him. And the Lancey yeah. is so good at showing this. I mean, he looks like a little kid. He's just so pouty. It's, it's But I have to tell you the so one funny. thing about him working in engineering that totally works for me is Jordy gives him something to do and tells him, you know, oh, I want you to control this field integrity or something. And he just like, you know, sort of pouts with his arms crossed because he knows, too, that there's really he says it's like a waste of my time because there's nothing to it. And we see this later when Jordy is trying to block out some characters who we'll talk about in a second with the shields. And he's you're just kind of like pushing a button. Doot, doot. Dude, that's what Q's doing. Yeah, and that's what that's what they're all doing. That's what they're all doing. That's why that that part where Picard is flying the Enterprise in that booby trap episode makes me laugh so hard because he's really just typing, right? I know he's really it's just like he's like you know sending a text message, like 
It's so funny because what it's kind of a commentary on this idea that Q visits the show once a season, you know, or maybe twice. He shows up and he goes like, this place is pretty flipping boring. I mean, I, I oh, want to yeah. see the show that Q's on. I mean, I want to see what he's doing because <laughs> it's got to be incredibly exciting if he shows up on this enterprise that he likes to keep coming back to and goes like, Jesus Christ, with these buttons. Oh, my God. But it's so because all they do is sit there in front of glass displays and push buttons and then wait. And then they see something go up or something go down or something turn green or something turn blue. Then they push another button. And it's really like there's nothing for him to do. I know. So Jordy, Jordy has Q in there. Q has this idea that, that Jordy thinks is actually going to work so they could stop this moon from crashing into Brielle 4. And so Jordy is trying to actualize this plan. He's trying to make this plan work. And he gives, you know, he gives Q a little button pushing station. And Q's just like, okay, great. Just let me know every 20 minutes why I have to push a button. Q tells them that he has a lot of value on the ship, even though he's not an entity, that he actually is. Oh, yeah, sure, his knowledge. And it's a great argument, and it's funny to see that juxtaposed to that scene where he's bored, but he's like, hey, you know what, I could actually be a valuable member of the crew. I have seen the universe. I know how things work. I can problem solve way better than any of you, of course. Then they shove him into the engineering and, and he's as bored as shit. The other thing about this, too, is that Q really electrifies the other cast members, I think. So we have right. talked before about the fact that other directors have told the actors they got to underplay the roles a little bit, to, you know, ratchet it down. And we see them, you know, moving away from that more and more. Don't go but too But this broad. time, here comes here comes Q, right? Yeah. And, and Q is just walking chaos and it kind of frees the rest of the cast up yeah. too i really think that that picard gets a lot more emotive this this of course is the source of the famous face palm i mean everybody who's listening to this episode has seen our art for the episode because you're listening to it through a thing that shows it if you don't know picard has from time to time done this thing where he puts his head in his hand and he's already done it before this isn't this isn't the first time but this is the time that is the most famous on the memes and on the internet when you see this shot of him. It's Picard cradling his big bald head in his hand. And, and it's from this episode. When I saw it, it was like, ah, here it is. It was like a jackpot moment. I was so excited to see it. Yeah. And so so we obviously we incorporated it into our logo for the show. And you can see it, of course, right now when you look at your player. So so Picard gets the good idea that he is going to pair Data with Q or Q with Data and Data, you take care of him. And part of it is like, OK, I'm going to take Brent Spiner and I'm going to put him with John Delancey and I'm going to say, you boys go. You just go. That is great. Because they absolutely do. They they do this whole walking and talking thing uh, a la Aaron Sorkin in the West yes. Wing that we've talked about before. And their exchange is is smooth. It's well performed. There's a lot of little quirks. When when he shows up, you've got a Patrick Stewart level actor showing up, and it it gives Stewart and Spiner, who I mean, I I, I there's I, I think our main cast is a great group of players, but they definitely have the strongest characters, the biggest arcs, and they have the most influential, important scenes in the whole series. And to see them kind of open up against another contemporary like John Delancey 
is excellent to watch. And it kind of it opens the show up. When I was watching it, though, I was thinking, I so wish there was just more of this happening with our regular crew where they are letting them have more time together on screen, kind of figuring and playing against each other. We talked about this a couple episodes back about being episodic. When you have a character like Q come in from the outside, we can let Q grow. Q can learn something. Q can become different because we're not going to see him again for another year. Right. It's not going to affect the trajectory of the season at all. You can't have our cast doing this kind of character development too much because it messes around with the episodic nature of the show. You want to believe from show to show that you can step into Star Trek and miss a couple episodes and show up and everything is as it was, you know, before, you know, within reason, like, you know, within the season, at least, you know, that they change that up later on as the season ends. They, in this season, they do some big changes and, and I totally welcome those things, but I think that's why we don't get more of that. And I just so wish we had it because these are such great players. But I think it's a great point too, because the whole point to Q is to shake things up. The whole point to Q is to be outside and disruptive. These other players cannot step too far outside of their roles because it's disruptive to the show. Right. Q's role is to step outside, period, and be as disruptive as possible. So that works for them. The 10 forward scene, I think, is great. Q is in engineering with Data and Jordy, and they call Bev because Q's back hurts. Which I'm just like, dude, sympathize. <laughs> because he's a human or he's mortal, he sees having these mortal feelings. Actually, his back's sore for the first time. They call Beverly Crusher, and thank God we get to, to see her for a little bit, because her scenes are also really good. She does a great job yes. sort of interacting with him. Yeah. Q's like, oh, I feel funny again in my stomach. She's like, you're hungry, dumbass. She's so impatient. I know. She really is. Well, she hates him. Well, she does because he's tortured them. We as an audience enjoy him showing up because every episode so far, you know, by the end of the episode, everything's okay. We know that when Q shows up, everything's going to be okay, too. But Bev sure doesn't. So uh, Data and Q end up going into 10 forward. And, you know, Q's asked Data what he's (laughs) what is it that he eats? Right. And Data's like, well, you know, I don't eat. But then he's got this great thing that that sticks with me. This is really disturbing to me. I don't remember this the first time around. But he says, although I do not require sustenance, I occasionally ingest semi-organic nutrient suspension in a silicon-based liquid medium. I know. And he says, it lubricates my biofunctions. It's so gross. This poor guy. I mean, this poor android can't even have the pleasure of eating a thing. I don't understand. It it instantly made me think of the lack of toilets on this enterprise because whenever (laughs) data passes, whatever that goop is, it's got to be a real big mess. But lubricating my biofunctions just sounds, it just sounds wrong. It sounds like something Rawl would say. It's like, hey, mama. You come back to my quarters and I'll lubricate your biofunctions. Remember how oily and Rawl, of course, from the prize episode, he was the smarmy negotiator who climbs all over Deanna Troy. Right. And one of the things about that episode was that their intimacy involved lots of oils. Hey, mama, I wouldn't mind seeing you slippery when wet. Hey, mama, why don't I cover you with a semi-organic nutrient suspension in a silicone-based liquid medium? And then lubricate your biofunctions. Hey, mama! Uh, I'd like to get my black tar all over you. 
What do you say, Raw? No, you're just sticky, Armus. You're just sticky, and there's... That's the old Armus. The new Armus is smooth as velvet. Whatever the hell that is. Are you now water-based? <laughs> Listen, ask Commander Riker. <whistles> Commander Data, I require your presence on the bridge. Stat! I'm sorry, Captain, but I'm sorry, Captain, but I'm passing my semi-organic nutrient suspension in a silicone-based liquid medium. It's and unfortunately, it's coming out in a silicone-based liquid medium. I hope you didn't forget to put that paper toilet ring on this time. It's incredibly difficult to clean up, I've heard. Commander, remember, a warrior wipes front to back. Captain, this is Mr. O'Brien. Come! I'm very concerned that he's in the john again, because you know that silicon-based liquid medium doesn't mix with water. It just floats there on the top. Thank you for your input, O'Brien. It's like an island of robotic waste, Captain. Excuse me, number one. There's nothing for young Crusher to do all episode. Send him down to Data's quarters to help him clean up again, if you know what I mean. Captain, uh, this is Wesley. I uh, I think I let some nanites into Data's silicon-based liquid medium in the toilet, and they've established an independent colony in it. Oh, goddammit, Crusher. They've shaped it into an island. <laughs> They're demanding independence, Captain. This is all happening in Data's buttocks? <laughs> no, Captain, it's happening in Data's toilet. Listen, uh, young Crusher, call the Petco down there. Send those puppies in. This is why we have them on board. Orf, 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 orf. Hang on, Captain. The universal translator is, is decoding what the dogs are saying. Orf, orf. What's that, Mr. Snuggles? He won't eat this because it's a semi-organic nutrient suspended in a silicon-based liquid medium. <laughs> Captain McCarr and Mr. Snuffles isn't going to eat it. Mr. Snuff, Mr. Snuffles says, "Just beam it, beam it off the starboard bow." Uh, Commander, listen, listen. You know who we need to send in. Listen, those puppies don't really get into the dirty work. Excuse me, Mr. Wharf. Send in, yes, send, send in Ensign Do. Ensign Do. Remander Rorf? Renson Rue. Rorty for Rudy. Report to Commander Data's toilet. Immediately. Rue. Rhyme Rooks riding. I'll be there. Roast raced. Arf. 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 What's that, Mr. Snuffles? Captain McCard. Uh, Mr. Snuffles suggests that Data get a cat. And the cat will eat the shit. Excuse me, Rung Rusher? Yes, Anson, do. Rumwood said there's some Ritterine up. <laughs> Rumwood's red, there's a Royalet Reet with my Rame on it. Anson, do, this is Counselor Troy. Remember to put the seat down this time. Yeah, like she'd sit on it after all that. Run and rest. Uh, what does the, the lady from Poltergeist say? Come to the light. No, at the All end, she goes. All are welcome. She goes. This house is clean. Riz, rouse, riz, rain. Ensign, do. Make sure to use your mouthwash when you're finished. Of course. Where am I, a ranimal? <laughs>
So, anywho, do you remember that scene between Guinan and Q? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a pretty good scene. Huh? It is a good scene. It's funny because the last time on Q Who, when Q showed up with, and he Q was really dangerous last time. Yes. And he smacked the Enterprise all the way into the Delta Quadrant where they come face to face with the Borg for the first time. And we have this scene in, in that episode between Guinan and Q where she tells Picard for the first time, like, hey, this guy is super dangerous. Like, he doesn't know that. But she she has history. Her people have history with Q. And then yes. we, we learned in that episode that there's something about Guinan. There's some kind of power or some information she holds over the, the Qs as well. Yeah. She's, of course... Like reveling in this because Q is finally vulnerable. He's hurting. He's in some distress. And she really enjoys his suffering. And it's kind of an interesting take on Guinan because all this time she has been like right. very sort of supportive and kind of right. a light comedic character. I get it that it's a comedic moment. I, I totally get that. But we really get like a dark, vengeful side of her, which I kind of enjoyed. And I wish we got more of because she seems like she's been yeah. through a lot and she would be sort of like an angry character in some ways. Yes. But obviously that's not why she's on the show. I so wish that they had dealt with this in the movie's Star Trek Generations because mm -hmm. we have a character in that movie, Soren, Malcolm McDowell's character, and ah. he is controlling the continuum that Whoopi Goldberg was in for a while. And, and it just would have made more sense to have Q be in that movie and I'm not sure why that's not what it was about, because that's where Guinan was working out some stuff. And it's also the last appearance of Guinan until 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 Picard, it, until she shows up again in Picard. Right. And, and, and it, it would have made a logical kind of arc for this story, which we never fully really get worked out between the two of them. And she and Soren are the same race. They're both uh, what are called Elarians. It does make sense that that would have been a great moment. I, it's also disappointing because in, in Picard season two, Q comes across Guinan again, though it's a younger version of Guinan. Right. We understand there's other some other strange connection between her people and the Q in that she's able to summon them by screaming very loudly. <laughs> right. But it doesn't really develop. You know, that, that we don't see any more exploration than that. The buzz of the season for season two was we're finally going to get the Picard, backstory yeah, here. Yeah, uh, yeah Picard between um, between Q and Guinan. And then, yeah, sorry, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> you yeah. know, Q quote unquote dies, no. whatever that means. Yeah, if he can die. I mean, if whatever that is. Yeah. But I, I don't see how they're going to jam. They would jam that story into season three anyway. When they already had a Q narrative going here, they could have done something and, and they didn't. How many episodes of Picard were there? And I, and I got to tell you, for as well crafted as that show was, it just kind of veers off into some episodes that just we just didn't need. We showed up for that show to learn about Guinan, to learn about Picard, to learn about Q. And I just don't think we got the answers that would have been as rewarding as they could have been, which is kind of too bad. I, I there Well I'm gonna I'm gonna make a suggestion here and hopefully we'll remember it because we're gonna have more seasons of next generation than we do movies. Right. So after we get through the next two movies, which are the the hideous insurrection and the not-so-great nemesis, 
then maybe we could visit the Picard seasons. Yeah, that's a good idea. Or we can. It is a good idea. It's interesting that we're we're doing this now this way, and and that that show is a contemporary show that we're watching, and and wherever they go next, it supposedly is, is the last season. But yes. I don't I don't know if there's all this talk of spinning off other trek properties i don't know if we'll see any of the other next gen characters again or if that's it it it, it will it'll be interesting to see what they do after post picard and maybe you'll get your show that you've been pitching around the lot beverly crusher space doctor for hire yes of course so eventually what happens is q now that q is depowered he has some other enemies in the world and in the universe and he starts being pursued by what is essentially a special effect. This giant cloud uh, called the, they're called the Calamarain. As an older person, and I know my, my friend, uh, Commander David Dave, also older, I watch with the, the captions on. So I swear to God, these, these, these creatures are named the Calamari, right? Yeah, that's they're, what they're, I They're Calamari ENs. Right. I know, I don't. Hey, this is a show that starts as a script, so it can't be that nobody noticed that, because that's the first time you saw it when it was written down, and I, and I saw it too, and I thought, man, come on, this is, we're back to these weird names. I mean, can't you come up with a name that sounds like something from outer space? Uh, you know, you know, someone was sitting down having lunch, like trying to write notes, right? right? And they were they were having like a calamari entree or right. something like that, or sure, a calamari yeah. appetizer. Well, and they're like, "Hey, I got it. Look at this. Uh, um, I got something all over my fingers. Now it's all over the script pages. It's staining it. I don't know what is it. Wait, hold on. Let me let me hold on a second. Oh, oh Jesus Christ! It's 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 calamari. It's what I had for lunch. Sorry, I should have washed my hands better, especially with the pandemic going on and everything. But see, when the Calamarines show up, see the first time we see them, they're a, like a little light, and they go into the brig where where Q is. And at first, I thought like, oh my God, is Q I, about to get knocked up like Troy right. and the child? Because it looked just like that entity, that, that little pen light entity. That's what I. It's it was the same effect at first. You're right. And then they show up, and they're just a cloud, and they're a cloud that that no one can talk to. The Universal Translator can't decipher what they're saying. They have no personality or nothing, right? They're just like an angry cloud who's mad at Q for being Q because he's a jerk and he's tormented them in the past. That becomes a, a plot thing, and they're trying to rescue. They're trying to stop this moon. Q realizes the that they're never going to be the, able to enterprise. The, yeah, yeah. So the Calamarain attack Q in engineering, and Data tries to intervene to help. And the Calamarain actually do some serious damage to Data, which is the first time I think we've seen something like that, like Data getting getting messed up like that. Data is trying to save Q. He's, he's, trying, to, he's trying to pull him away from these Calamari things. And he ends up basically getting, like, electrocuted or overloaded. You know, Bev has to do some uh, crap to his head. So we see, we actually get to see his head kind of opened up, some panels on his forehead open up. So then this is, here is the character development. Q realizes that Data is, was willing to sacrifice himself to save Q. Right. Q realizes that the Calamarians, or sorry, the Calamarain, are, are going to destroy the ship or ve- at the very least make it impossible for them to save uh, the Brielle. So he decides that he's going to do our favorite thing and steal a shuttlecraft. 
because they still haven't locked <laughs> these things well, down. They should have learned. I mean, this kind of crap was going on <laughs> almost 100 years before on Kirk's Enterprise. People would steal those stupid shuttles all the time and fly out of the shuttle bay. And I, I know there's no money in the future, but y- you those shuttles have got to be expensive, right? I mean, think well, of all after the all, after all the after all the hijinks that have gone on, you remember when when Picard used to disappear from the ship all I the know. time? Yeah, and they're like, uh, "Computer, where's Captain Picard?" So Picard, we had left the Enterprise, and and hold on, I'll, I'll be right back. At one point in peak performance, that that right, kid that Jake, kid. that kid Jake Jacks a shuttlecraft, and at no point do they think like, you know, should we at least put a club on it so people just can't come in and take off with one? Well, we had these saboteur terrorists two episodes back that got on Roga Roga Dana. Yeah, I mean they got on and they could have caused all kinds of mischief if they got on the shuttle bay. I mean, oh right, and the, the ones from the, the Ansada from from High Ground. Yes, yeah, it, it seems silly, and it, it's a funny little writerly thing that could have been done. Get Majel in for an afternoon or for five minutes and have her go. Uh, shuttle bay has been disabled. I mean, that's all you need, like just a little bit of reality injected into that to make it feel like it wasn't just something you could just pop into and take off. So now I have to I have to share the good news with you, Dave. Oh, yeah. Listeners, for those of you who have been on this journey with us for quite some time, you remember early in the show, my my close personal friend, my partner, Commander Davey Dave was obsessed with another show, a show called L.A. Law. Oh, you kept drawing parallels between Star Trek The Next Generation and L.A. Law. So many. And now, finally, after two and a half seasons, <laughs> the connection comes home to roost <laughs> as we get a very special guest star. Dave, Dave who is that very special guest star? Uh, uh, Q slamming the Porsche uh, trunk and the L.A. Law theme. Sir Corbin Burns and Dave. Dun, 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 dun. Here's Corbin Burnson. He plays Horndog Divorce Attorney Arnie Becker. What's hard to remember, though, is that Corbin Burnson was such a huge thing at this point on TV. Yes. That this, yes. this show was airing. L.A. Law was one of the one top shows. It was either one or two. And it was hugely, wildly successful. And I, I don't want to speak for you, Andrew, but I, I think we were both big fans of that show, too. Yes. A totally different kind of show, but his character was, you know, he wasn't supposed to be a nice guy, but people loved to hate him. And he was wildly successful at that point. And, and so seeing him show up on Star Trek here, it was like, it was such a surprise, like a big treat. Outside of Whoopi, here we have, you know, one of our most you know, famous people in Hollywood showing up on this show. And it was shocking to me because we didn't, you know, again, we didn't have the internet. This is this is pre-internet stuff. We didn't have any spoilers. And no one was saying, oh, you know, there's a rumor that right. Corbin Burnson's going to show up on an episode. It just came out of nowhere. I and, and I was like, oh? You know, in those days, it's when they were making movies, like in, in particular the Star Wars movies, they kept things really under wraps and they had secret second scripts. They did all the things that they do now, mm-hmm. but they really could keep shit under wraps. It wasn't like, you know, some jackass with his phone, 
you know, recording something and then putting it out on the internet. That just, it was just almost impossible for that to happen. So you really could have surprises like this. And I know this isn't a Star Trek thing, but we just saw the Thor movie, Love and Thunder. And if that movie was made 20 years ago, and of course it wouldn't have been made 20 years ago, but if it was made 20 years ago, there was a big surprise in that movie, which they even reveal in the trailer, which is who the Lady Thor is. And that would have been a surprise in a movie if it was made a long time ago, but there was no way to keep that under wraps. So everybody just knew as part of right, right. You know what you expected in the movie. You can't keep secrets anymore, and a lot of things are spoiled. Like just the fact that the, the next-gen crew are going to appear in Picard 3. Yes, you know, yeah. they, they can't even pretend to try and hide that. This was a very rare thing. I mean, we we actually had a surprise, and we were actually surprised and delighted. It was fun. Th- just think of it. But when you see it now, when you see this this Corbin Burns, and it's like, who the hell is this guy? I mean, like, I mean, it's like if if Yakov Smirnoff showed up, you know, it's like, Q and Q continuum. Then we. Do you know who that is? That is Yakov Smirnoff. Do you understand what a big deal that guy was back in the early eighties? You have no what? idea. What a continuum and Q continuum. Torment is done to you. This is one of those great old days in the great old days when you could make fun of somebody's accent, and that was and that was his whole shtick. Yeah, he was kind of a rube, right? He's just kind of this naive rube who has come from the the evil empire, as as Reagan put it, of the Soviet Union. Right. In Soviet Russia, shuttlecraft steal you. What a country! I, I I loved that stuff. I mean, this guy was smart. It was so based on exploiting the hatred of Russians, and oh yeah, yeah, he did have some funny jokes at the time, but. But they're questionable whether we should have been laughing at stuff like that. There's not really that much to say about the final scene where Q gives Data the gift of laughter, except it's it's a really nice moment. It is. It's kind of a character developing moment as you see Q being sort of generous and kind and grateful. And Spiner, of course, kills it. But Corbin Burnson, he, he is Q too. And he was the one who took away Q's powers and because he sees him acting in this kind way, Q has had some character development. He's learned something from these humans. He's granted back his powers. Right. Because he actually showed compassion and, more importantly, selflessness. And then what's funny is the look on Data's face when Q says he's going to give him this gift. Data thinks he's going to turn him into a, a, you know, a human. And Q- right, which is the same thing. Remember, he thought Riker was going to do to him, <laughs> right? And he was like, "No, don't!" I right when Riker was given the power of the Q in Hide and Q, right? You know, he's like giving gifts to everybody, and Data's like, "Ah, uh, nope." Listen, listen, human, you're going to totally ruin my uh, character trajectory. Don't you know that in the fourth movie they blow my ass up and get rid of me for the rest of the franchise and so that I have to come back in 30 more years with some weird makeup on to try to make me look like I'm a young robot again? Hey, Q, don't blow my bit. I got a bit going. This is an ongoing bit for me. Excuse me, uh, entity known as Q. Can you imagine how boring I'm going to be when I'm just a regular old person spouting off all this nonsense all the time? Have you seen Wesley Crusher in the last three or four episodes? You know why you haven't? Because he's boring as shit. Leave me a goddamn robot. And at least my shit as a robot is interesting. 
and lubricated. So Q, you know, Q gets his powers back from Arnie Becker. Arnie Becker wins the lawsuit, gets his powers back right. for Q. And then the first thing he does, of course, is be like really politically offensive and create like <laughs> a stereotype of mariachis on the bridge. Right. And he's wearing a, a sarape and a sombrero. I'm not sure why that had to happen, but he's doing it. And then he has some players behind him, too. Right. Yeah, yeah, he has an actual mariachi band behind him. And I don't know if they're a real band, but they're actors playing a mariachi band. Suddenly he's smoking cigars and putting cigars in people's mouths. Why? Why the mariachi band? Is there any context for that in this episode? I guess, no, there's no context for it in the episode. I mean, it's not like earlier in the episode, he says to Data, do you have any Mexican food? He doesn't like go to 10 forward and say... You know, I'd really love to hear uh, some canciones de mi padres. So, Android, I see on the menu there's something called sizzling hot fajitas. That sounds intriguing. And pray tell, what's a flauta? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh, I'm 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 absolutely intrigued by the the mysteriously named chimichanga. And then he makes these two scantily clad yeah they're 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 just sort of in bikinis and they're clinging to Riker, and Riker is acting all disgusted about it and again i, I mean <laughs> seriously he's he's goofing on Riker. he's like here here Riker. i mean this is what's funny about q because he kind of steps outside of the show for Riker, not the mariachis but he goes like i know this guy's just all about these girls so i'm gonna give him i'm gonna give these people what they want they want a little show i'm gonna give them a show they want Riker wants a little potential play here you go rikes baby Riker acts all shocked and 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 put out by it when in reality is i mean i always sort of interpreted too as like not here q not here <laughs> hey we've uh, talked about this hey you send one of them ahead to clean my quarters up and then have the materialize in there. Come on, buddy. Any one of them, any one of them play the harp cue? Can you miniaturize these girls for me, your excellence, and make them grow back to regular size later, if you know what I mean? So the idea of the moon crashing into Brielle is, is, 4 is novel enough, though they never really explain why it's happening. It's just kind of happening. You know, yeah. after so many kind of like distress calls for weird stuff, here we have like a galactic event that seems really cool. I mean, here's a big problem. A big complicated problem for the Enterprise to solve. Right. I know. They first think because Q shows up that it's Q's making, like Q is drawing them into this disaster. And we just find out that it is just a regular old random thing that's happening in the galaxy. But what, you know, the, the part that kills me is there's these these aliens, the Borealians are down there and there's two of them, right? And they're, yes. dre dre they're dressed up and they're weird looking aliens and, and kind of cool, right? The female Brelian is like kind of panicking. And every time they call up to the Enterprise, she's more like, you know, our planet's going to get bashed by this moon. And it's going to be pretty much destroyed. The other guy's kind of more of the voice of reason. He's like, but hold on. We understand, Enterprise, that you guys are trying your best. So they keep doing these scenes. There's like three of them. And by the last one, she's like, we really would implore you to help us keep that moon from bashing the shit out of our planet and, and then the the dude's like all oh, hold on hold on a second it's all hold it together you know we're under the threat of a, a a massive explosion incinerating us but let's just say thank you enterprise we really do appreciate all the hard work you're doing up there it was just like <laughs> i did I, it did crack me up because he's like you know picard i know you're like really trying your best 
But the moon's going to crush us and destroy our goddamn planet. You know, could you fuck off with the entity and maybe concentrate on the giant moon crashing into the planet? Because they seem to totally forget about it, right? I know. Like, like uh, Jordy stops what he's doing to keep the Calamarain from attacking Q. I know, I and know. And you got to be sitting there, if you're a brilliant down the planet, going, like, fuck you. Could you stop this moon? Hey, hey we got to talk to the Enterprise. And listen, can you zoom in on me? Because the people running around in the background, terrified, screaming at the top of their lungs, I don't want the Enterprise to see any of that. I don't want them to feel the least bit worried about our sense of uh, uh, danger. I mean, oh, yeah. And that was the thing, right? I mean, it's it's some disaster movie shit, but they I don't know. have the money for it. This is like a Roland Emmerich movie that didn't get made, uh, yeah. you know, where the moon is crashing into the planet. Do you remember 1999 Space 1999? Oh, my God. How could I ever forget it? Space 1999, it's the exact opposite premise, right? There's explosions cause the moon to fly out of orbit and it's destroying the planet. And the last contact they have with Earth, it's like all. The tides are out of the planet is kind of. And then the idea is that the moon, because of course of inertia, the moon is just flying across the universe. I watched that show as a kid, and and people that watched that, it, it had a weird seventies vibe. So it had this kind of funky, oh, yeah. weird music and weird acting. I swear to God, if there was a Star Trek up against that show. Clearly, everybody would have been watching Star Trek. 1999 was like, how do we make a space show? A Star Trek, basically, where they're not on a spaceship. What else would we do? I don't know what kind of uh, Hollywood drug party was going on when they invented this. The invention that you would whack our moon out of orbit and that that would become a vehicle to fly across the galaxy. It goes to other planets and stuff and, and encounters other aliens. It's like, yes. <laughs> it, it's so out of control. It just makes you wonder what... Moon-based. Like, Alpha. Why couldn't they just be on another goddamn spaceship? You well, know, it's uh, Jerry Anderson spaceships. But Jerry Anderson's the one who invented, and Jerry Anderson also famous for coming up with the Thunderbirds and know, and some other just... British science fiction shows starring puppets. Good, good for them for making it, and it's so weird. And but, but it's, it's it's starring the fact that it's starring Martin Landau and Barbara Bain. Right. You know that that, that this. And for those of you who don't know, I mean, please look them up. Martin Landau. Uh, won an Academy Award for some uh, uh, crimes and misdemeanors um, many, many later on in life. A Woody, uh, Woody Allen, Allen film. And he was nominated for the Tim Burton movie. Where I don't know if he won the... He played Bella Lugosi. Ed Wood. He was an Ed Wood. There's nothing funnier to me than the idea that Martin Landau would be the action star of a, of a science I fiction The idea that you would propel the moon is even more outrageous as a premise than Deep Space Nine is this, basically this a spaceship that doesn't move in outer space because that's what it is. And we even right. call Avery Brooks one of the captains. He's called a captain because he's a captain of this thing that floated in space. But the idea that they couldn't propel a thing that even Deep Space Nine couldn't have just been another goddamn ship. I just I never understood that the premise of that show. And and 1999 makes even less sense. Space 1999 is it's one of those shows where you really have to turn off your brain. And it was fun. It was a fun show at a time, again, when there wasn't a great deal of science fiction. Well, there's no sci-fi on TV. I mean, that was probably one show that was on. I mean, there's just nothing. You know what there was a lot of, too, is, uh, and there still are, but a lot of courtroom dramas. Yeah. And I mentioned that because of L.A. Law, but also because our next episode is a little bit of a courtroom drama. Really? It's an episode called A Matter 
of perspective. <laughs> and it's it's kind of interesting because we're getting to the point where next gen has established itself enough to start doing some interesting storytelling stuff and playing with storytelling. Okay. And it will do that a lot more in the other seasons. Later on, you're right. This is like one of its very first ventures into that, inspired by Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon. So that is going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you've enjoyed our delightful romp with Hugh and all our little friends that came to visit. Hey, are you guys finished? Yeah, we're wrapping up, Armis. It's time to, to fold up the tent and move on. I just finished popping my popcorn, and I was sitting back to listen to you guys. Well, I asked Commander Dave to go out to the garage and get the wet vac so we could get you out of here. Oh, you're hurting my feelings again. I'm out of here. Ah! Hey, oh my... Hey, get away from me with that. Hey, well, we could just get go on forever and ever. Get off. Out of control moon hurtling through the galaxy trying to find its home. If you can't get enough of us, and oh, I don't even see how never, that's possible never. that you could ever get enough of us. Never! Please check out all our previous episodes at TNG's tngeez.com and also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Podcast Hut, Ear Scorn. <laughs> and so if if you if you have an opportunity, please make sure to subscribe to uh, our podcast. If you can leave a review, we would really appreciate it. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook. Absolutely. And Twitter and YouTube. So once again, I am Ambassador Andrew, and with me as always is Commander Dave E. Dave. And you've been enjoying STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. Let's go mind the store. No entities were harmed in the making of this episode. Hey! I don't know. My feelings are really bruised after this one. Oh, shut up, Armis. Just shut up. You shut up, you mother... Dave, get the shop vac. Goodbye, Q. We'll miss you, Arnie Becker. Ah, Good episode, yeah? Well, up next, it's episode 14 of season 3 of SDTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. And let's face it, this one's pretty fucked up. Miss the proto-Vulcan, Liko? Well, he's back as a guest star in the podcast. Liko actually never comes back at Next Gen, but we can't get enough of that cake. I do not mind being the naked model for the Picard. Oh, look out. Next Gen is broadening its narrative horizons. And they decide to do a take on Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon. The boys wonder why, oh why, this Trek can't be more like original Trek. There could be more action. There could be more, you know, adventure to it. Like, wouldn't it be cool if they just go down to a planet like Kirk and company and did this and did that? Then, Nanu Nanu, Andrew and Dave make a connection between Next Generation and another sci-fi TV classic. It's Mork and Mindy. I just remember watching that show in the 70s going, this is the, I mean, I was a kid. I'm like, I love this so much. This episode is tough to talk about. 
because it just isn't right. Dave and Andrew are about to wrestle with some really questionable content. Honestly, Andrew, I'm afraid to talk about this episode. <laughs> I, don't, I would like to stall it as much as possible. Get ready for one of Next Gen's cringiest episodes ever as we rewatch A Matter of Perspective on the very next episode of STTNG's Not Another Star Trek Podcast. <laughs> Have you ever wondered what an android eats and then shits out? Well, you're about to find out as soon as you go to bed. In this exciting episode of Data's in Your House, Shitting on Your Pillow. Coming at you right about... 